Good evening and welcome to 97.5 FM on CIOE Radio. This evening we have three very special guests. We have Kelly Shaw and Melissa Keynes and Josie, our four-legged friend, in today to talk about animal therapy and the mental health benefits that it provides us as two-legged creatures. And I'm going to get uh, Kelly Shaw to introduce herself as well as her animal therapy companion. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Charlene. Uh, my name is Kelly Shaw, um, and I'm a child and youth care practitioner. I currently live in Truro, Nova Scotia, um, and my primary responsibility in Truro is uh, teaching at the Nova Scotia Community College in a two-year child and youth care diploma program. Um, and one of my hobbies, I guess, is uh, spending time with this lovely dog who it's unfortunate you can't see because she's quite beautiful, but I think there'll be a picture. Yes, we'll do a picture for sure. Uh, so Josie is a mixed breed um, who we rescued, uh, my partner and I rescued her about a year and a half ago. Um, uh, she had been abandoned and not claimed and rescued by ARC, uh, Animal Rescue Coalition, and she was in foster care there for a couple of months, and they fixed her up and healed her physical injuries, and she went to an amazing foster family um, who uh, my partner and I talk about often as having really, really supported her and, and helped her kind of learn how to dog, <laughs> um, and then she's been with us, and this summer uh, she and I went through the assessment process with St. John ambulance to be a, a therapy dog team, a visiting therapy dog team. Excellent. Thank you. And what about you, Melissa? Give us a little little scoop on you and why you're here today. Uh, hi, Charlene. Thanks for having me. Uh, as she said, my name is Melissa Keynes. I am also a child and youth care professional from Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I recently completed some research on animal-assisted interventions. Uh, particularly, I worked with youth from ARC Outreach, a different ARC than <laughs> Kelly was talking about, mine's with a K. Uh, it's the actually only pet-friendly drop-in center in, I believe, all of Nova Scotia, but certainly HRM, and uh, was very lucky to have an opportunity to interview some youth and their companion animals and get a real understanding of, of their experiences. Well, thank you both for joining me today and sharing this information. Um, as an individual who does not have pets because of my lovely uh, allergies, um, you know, I do still understand the power and benefit of animal therapy. Um, and I take advantage of my neighbor's animals. So I have cats and dogs on both sides and I get to get out and have a little fun with them. And they are great listeners and they don't talk back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I very much, I very much enjoy that. So Kelly, can you explain the process that you went through in regards uh, to becoming certified with Josie? And I believe you did that through the St. John Ambulance, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. Um, so, you know, sort of the front end piece, the initial piece is a paper application, um, and you require a couple of letters of reference for me, criminal background check, um, a vulnerable sector search, and then a vet clearance as well for Josie. Um, and then you just go on a list and wait until they do a, a face-to-face -face site assessment. And um, I participated in that here in Halifax. Um, so there were six dogs and six handlers. Um, and we went through a variety of different tests just to see, um, you know, primarily the relationship between the handler and the dog. Um, and like very different kinds of dogs. Um, there was a Great Dane and there was a teacup of some sort. Um, and then, you know, the, the medium-sized dogs in the middle. Josie is a medium-sized dog, border collie, flat coat retriever, kind of something crossed. Um, and, and then also looking at how your dog reacts to um, or responds to unusual stimuli um, mm -hmm. that they might encounter in a place where they're going to visit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was... And there's different levels of training, correct? Yes, there is. Um, so the first training, which is what Josie and I have done at this point, is um, to visit adults. Um, 
The primary focus for the St. John Ambulance Visiting Program, my understanding is it's primarily nursing homes, mm-hmm. um, uh, long-term care facilities, um, although I visit on the Truro campus, and we actually have two dogs that visit on the Truro campus, um, and there's more and more expansion um, in terms of where dogs are visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see the advertisements for the puppy rooms at the universities mm-hmm. during exam time and yeah. that's St. John Ambulance dogs, nice. um, not necessarily puppies, yeah. um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we get, so we get notifications and, you know, like, are you able to bring your dog and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and then after you have been a team doing that first level of visiting for 12 months, then there's a next level of visiting, which, um, is, um, I think it includes the airport, so it's mm-hmm. a higher level of security clearance as well, and um, children and um, individuals with cognitive and developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we'll we'll put our names on the list shortly, and uh, hopefully get through that screening. Awesome, very mm-hmm. good. So Melissa, you did the research. Yes. Yes. So what are the mental health benefits specifically with hanging out with our furry friends? Mm -hmm. Well, I I did just want to make clear, first of all, of course, like any kind of treatment, uh, it doesn't work for everybody. It's not a a blanket statement, but it can be very, very effective, especially for people who enjoy animals or maybe have a particular bond with animals already. Uh, And... The studies show that hanging out with animals uh, give us, you know, social, emotional, and physiological benefits. So physiologically, things like lowering our systolic blood pressure, lowering our chemical plasma levels um, to do with stress, uh, providing us with comfort, nothing Mm. like giving a hug to an animal when you're sad or not feeling well. So they do all those things for us, as well as, uh, you know, for my particular population that I was interviewing, yeah, they also uh, provide protection and warmth and a lot of other things as well. So that's physiologically. Uh, socially, they're known to decrease loneliness, increase uh, so, uh, social time together. So by providing a neutral topic of conversation, mm-hmm. they can bring people together. Um, this is really common for children and older people. So it's really nice to see that that's two populations that St. John Ambulance is, is looking for. Uh, and emotionally, they provide us with comfort. That was the, one of the most important things in my research is that these animals are like family. Yeah. And they provide unconditional love. And you were talking about non-judgmental listening, mm-hmm. all of those wonderful things that really provide comfort to us. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to share particularly the, I guess, audience that you were researching, um, just so people are aware? Of course, yes. So my particular research is with transient or homeless youth who have companion animals. So I think that the findings from my study can be generalized to sort of the general population, but there just might be a few extra unique benefits that they also provided for these transient or homeless youth. Yeah, and and we'll definitely get into that because I think it's essential for people to understand that, you know, there, there are unique benefits to unique groups within society and that like you said, we can generalize, but then we need to really um, understand what the specific needs of individuals are within certain contexts so that we can meet their needs um, within the um, animal therapy. Because, you know, we could be talking about dogs, we could be talking about rabbits. Exactly. You know, I've seen all kinds of things used within the classroom setting mm-hmm. um, and you know, again, it's that understanding that this other object or being is alive um, and that we're not getting that same kind of uh, verbal engagement that we have to. So there's a there's a base level 
of mm-hmm. how we need to relate to an animal, mm-hmm. um, which I think is so mm-hmm. essential because if you're nonverbal, if you, you know, you don't have, ac- if you have accessible uh, issues, the animal can come to you and just be, which is so essential. We talk about that as child and youth care workers mm-hmm. all the time, that it's essential just sometimes to be together and have that connection. So you guys both have real good connections with animals. Uh, so this is not, uh, Josie is not Kelly's only furry friend. And do you still have an animal now, Melissa? I have three. You have three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so you guys get it. And, and so Melissa, you have kids. So how do you find that? that works with your kids. How do you see your kids utilizing the dog for their kind of social and emotional Mm -hmm. um, intelligence development? Well, that's very interesting because it sort of goes back to what I was saying about it not being a treatment for everyone. Yes. Because I have two sons and one is extremely attached to the animals. One cat in particular sleeps with him every night. When he is upset, he is going right to that cat for a Mm -hmm. snuggle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that uh, the studies have shown is that children don't often get an opportunity to be the master, to Mm. be the boss. But in this case, you know, not only does he take care of him and learn responsibility, but he also has, you know, that opportunity to be the boss, which he really (laughs) likes. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. And so what about you, Kelly? Always a lifelong animal lover? Um, yeah, I got my first dog when I was in late elementary school, like fifth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents had dogs the whole time that they had kids at home. Once the kids left, they, um, and their last dog passed on, they got a cat. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I got my first dog as an adult. Um, actually, it's funny as the guy I was dating was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, a puppy. And I was kidding. <laughs> Um, but he got me a puppy. Um, and that was my first dog as an adult. And I had her for 11 years. And since then have had um, my my partner came with a dog and a couple of kids. And I got another dog. Um, so currently have um, a Jack Russell Terrier who is 14 and a half mm. with no teeth and no hearing. Um, and Josie. Um, and it's funny because when Gracie uh, was the only dog left, so our Jack Russell so my partner was like, that's it. No more dogs when she's gone, you know, because she's going to live until she's 18 or 20, probably. That's a not an unusual life expectancy for a little dog. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Josie appeared and, and really did appear. I mean, she was abandoned on our daughter's doorstep. Oh. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we really feel like, you know, people say, oh, it's so lovely that you rescued her. And I'm not really sure who was rescued, to be very honest. Yes. Um, I can't imagine, you know, I... I travel a lot and I'm away a lot and I can't imagine not having the dogs at home with my partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't, I mean, when I'm home and the dogs aren't there, it's like, there's just emptiness in the space that's, that I, I don't want that emptiness. Yeah. So that that was great. When we come back after the break, we'll talk about who is rescuing who when it comes to animal therapy. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm your host, Charlene Pickram, and this is CIOE 97.5 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. Uh, this is Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I am your host, Charlene Pickram, and we have Kelly and Melissa in the studio this evening, and we're talking about animal therapy. And just prior to our break, we were talking about who saved who. And uh, Kelly's going to share with us why. Why in the world would she take on something else? Because she's a very, very busy lady. Um, so why would she or why did she uh, decide to become a volunteer with the St. John's Ambulance Animal Therapy Program? Oh, my. Um I became aware of the visiting dog program because we had a dog that visited on campus. Um, and so I asked that handler some questions about it and so on. Uh, but then I had the opportunity actually to be involved with Melissa's research um, when she was um, 
completing her master's thesis and I learned a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you want to talk about serendipitous someone. Um, so one of the other individuals who was involved in supporting Melissa, um, was, uh, Ardra. I can't remember her last name. Cole. Cole. And someone had given me a book that she wrote. This is before I met her. Mm-hmm. That was, it's called of dogs and dissertations. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm working on my PhD dissertation and it, it's a, a, have you read it, Melissa? Yes, I have. Yeah. It's a, a, a lovely little book that really parallels sort of dog ownership, I guess, with the process of completing a PhD. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and then the more that I was exposed to the research by reading Melissa's thesis, um, the more I recognized the benefit of visiting animals, Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, the, the impact on just simply the impact on the physical space. And so not necessarily with individuals who, um, have a, diagnosed mental illness, um, or who are experiencing any particular, uh, mental health crisis in a moment, but just simply by being present. Um, one of our first visits on campus, Josie and I was actually the day that, um, uh, the students were moving into residence mm. and we just went and hung out in the lobby and the number of parents, it was mostly parents who came over <laughs> and talked and, and, and en- engaged with her. Um, but you could just tell, I mean, the lobby was packed with people, of course, and there's like the queues, the lineups. And as soon as people walked in, as soon as people saw her, like some people even said like, oh, shush, shush, there's a dog here. <laughs> and like the energy just calmed in the space. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, those are people who are experiencing a life stressor. Their kids yes. are moving away from home for the first time, but not necessarily, you know, what we might typically think of as a mental health crisis. Yeah. Um, and the same thing, you know, on campus, um, I have some faculty who will get Josie to come in um, for 15 minutes before they're going to write a test. Mm-hmm. And she just, you know, we just wander around the room and people pat her and um, the number of people who even just brush her when she goes by in the hallway and then I can hear them say like, oh, that just made my day. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think that, you know, the, 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 just the general well-being that is mm-hmm. supported by having animals present. Um, yeah. And the, the benefit for me, um, and I was saying at break, you know, this is not an altruistic <laughs> adventure that I'm on. I love my dog. Mm-hmm. And to be able to watch people engage with her and express that kind of caring about her as well and to watch her, um, you know, like sometimes sometimes she just walks by people, but sometimes she goes and sits. Yes. Um, by someone and then they start to pat her. And then after a few minutes, you know, they talk about how she just knew that I needed her to be here with me today. Um, and, and I think she does, Mm -hmm. like, I really think she does know that it would be valuable for me to just sit here and chill. And so I feel again, not, you know, totally selfish. I feel like I have been able to support someone's wellness for that day. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that, and that is you, like that's your methodology basically to life mm. is to do that as a child and youth care practitioner. So this is just another tool in your Absolutely. toolbox. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's what I love is yeah. that the more strategies that an individual has, the more individuals that can be reached. So, Melissa, when I was reading your thesis, um, you know, one of the things that really stuck out, stuck out for me was that dog therapy really has been in existence since 1699. Well, that was the first recorded incident of sort of animal assisted interventions, I like to say. Yeah. Uh, John Locke, who's a very famous English philosopher, uh, started advocating giving small animals, so not just dogs, dogs, cats, birds, uh, to children as a way of learning empathy and mm-hmm. responsibility and, um, yeah, things like that. So it's, it's really an old idea, but it has been gaining a lot of popularity. Yes. Uh, and in the 1960s, uh, a 
famous Dr. Boris Levinson, which people may or may not know of. Uh, he was sort of the first guy to really start talking about what he termed as child pet psychotherapy. Okay. So actually using dogs in therapy sessions. Yes. So his first experience actually was he had been working with a young man who was uncommunicative, had not spoken to him in months. And although this would never happen today, <laughs> he left the his office yeah. and left the patient and the dog alone. His dog, he had a poodle named Jingles. <laughs> And when he came back into the room, the boy was having a conversation mm. with the dog. Hadn't spoken in months, was now chatting away to the dog. And for him, for Dr. Levinson, that was a light bulb. Yeah. This really works. And he started writing about it and advocating and speaking about it. Uh, at first, to quite a bit of resistance. But over the years, people really have started seeing what this can do, mm -hmm. you know. Definitely. And so, you know, I'm working in residential child and youth care, uh, therapists who specifically worked with youth that were in the program, one of them had a dog. Mm -hmm. And so this, this individual was very res resistant to any kind of therapy. Um, but basically what it became was the therapist said, we don't even have to talk. I'll just come and get you. We'll go for a walk. Mm -hmm. And whatever happens, happens. And just naturally, that relationship developed. The child was always eager because the dog was coming. They knew they were going out for a walk. I mean, then, you know, you have other, um, con the context of being out in nature, mm -hmm. like so many different things that would benefit that engagement. But th the animal was the tool. Yeah that allowed this individual to commit to mm -hmm. therapy. And so again, whatever we can use out of our toolbox that will assist an individual to develop some kind of attachment and relationship um, is absolutely key. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, as a person with allergies, um, you know, it is, it is difficult. And so I want to, at some point, we'll talk about policies and procedures, mm -hmm. uh, regarding, you know, well, how do you bring a dog mm -hmm. into a school setting? Mm -hmm. How do you potentially bring an animal into an orphanage or uh, a residential facility? Like the, how do we weigh the, positives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the risk benefit. Thank you. That's yeah. a beautiful way of saying it, the risk benefit. And so, you know, Melissa, when you were working with, um, homeless youth, mm -hmm. they had many different companion animals. It wasn't just dogs. Nope. That's true. So <clears throat> what, what else was out there for companion animals? For companion animals. Well, that's interesting. Uh, certainly the, the most usual is a dog. Yeah. Uh, however, there's everything from rodents. Uh, met one gentleman who had a pet rat who lived in his pocket, who was very lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, snakes, uh, cats, obviously, but other rodents that they, you know, the little tiny carriers, they keep their gerbil or whatever in there. And yeah, uh, yeah so really a wide range, anything from rodents and cats, dogs, snakes, really whatever works for that individual, right? Mm -hmm. And again, what a conversation starter. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're hanging out on the street <laughs> yes. and a little uh, rat pokes its head out of your pocket and, uh, oh, geez, you seem to have a little furry friend there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the conversation starter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, one of the very interesting things that the youth I talked to said was that when they were with their pets, they were received very differently from the general public than mm -hmm. when they weren't. So people were much more open to them and much more friendly when they had their pet with them than when they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what what would you attribute that to? Just... Well, again, it's probably one that neutral you know, topic of conversation. But I think the other thing is that studies have shown, for whatever reason, 
that people and situations when they're with animals are seen as less threatening. Mm. So it, it is, you know, when they set up the situation, someone walks in and there's animals there, it's perceived as less threatening. And when they're not, it, it is seen as more threatening, which is, you know, I don't know exactly why that happens, but they've mm-hmm. done lots of studies that have shown that over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll be interesting to see where the research goes. Did it show gaps? Did it show, you know, when you were doing your thesis, mm-hmm. when you said, this is the research that needs to be done? Um, what did you specifically indicate? Do you know? That would still need to be done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is obviously lots of, of research where it could, you know, still go. One of the things that is probably lacking is hard numbers, mm. which is unfortunately something people look for sometimes. Yeah. Um, but for, uh, for my specific work, I think the big area for us is that the challenge of being homeless and having a pet and trying to find services. Yes. You know, one of the big things which affects homeless transient youth, but I think a lot of people is transportation. Mm. You know, even if you're a pet owner but don't have a car, and that's lots of people. Yes. Getting around is very difficult. We we have very strict rules about public transportation. So that's a real issue, but housing as well, not just shelters and drop-in centers, but also affordable housing where mm-hmm. you can have pets. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're all, that's really big issues. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I did get that, you know, from your thesis mm-hmm. was talking about what are the restrictions for homeless individuals who want to attain services, mm-hmm. who want to get a job. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, in the, the traveling that I have done, it's not like, it, it's a North American perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, I remember the first time I traveled through Europe and the dogs are on the train and the dogs are, um, on the patio at the cafe. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, remember, and, and when we talked about this with, with your research, Melissa, like the, the difference here that, you know, yeah, you want to take your dog to the vet and you have to access public transportation mm. or even a taxi cab. Even that's difficult. Yeah. There aren't that many cabs who will take your pet. No. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that perspective, um, sort of juxtaposed against people are seen as less threatening when they have a dog. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. there, there's a tension there, um, that I think is curious. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I know even in Toronto, for example, that you can take your pets, any, your dog right onto the subway or buses, yeah. all the public transportation. So, you know, I think it might even mm. be more of a Atlantic, Atlantic Canada, Canada mm. issue. Yeah. Well, interesting. So we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk about the risk management issues and the policies and procedures that, you know, get in the way of individuals accessing mental health services and, um, you know, really dealing with uh, the social, emotional intelligence issues that come up for them. Um, they've found strategies, particularly having a companion animal, but it's not accepted within their overall care. So you're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm your host, Charlene Pickram. This is CIOE 97.5 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it on 97.5 Community Radio. I am your host, Charlene Pickram, and we have Melissa Keynes and Kelly Shaw in the studio this evening, and we're talking about animal therapy. And during this seg- segment, we're going to talk about risk management and policies and procedures. What are the pros and the cons? Kelly. Yeah, um... So one of the things certainly from St. John Ambulance is, you know, the, the, the screening piece and, and when, uh, when I am on campus with my dog, because it is where I work, mm-hmm. that can't be during my work hours. So she can't just come and hang out at school with me. Yeah. Um, I'm a volunteer with St. John Ambulance for that hour that I am there with her. Um, and the, the, the screening tool that they use, um, sort of assesses the level of, 
risk that the dog is and yeah. um, obviously that the dog is not risk yes. um, and that the handler and the dog um, are going to, the handler is going to be able to manage the dog. Um, and, you know, I mean, I said when, it, when I did my assessment, there were a whole lot of variety of dogs um, and very different personalities and so on, but none of them, none of them out of control because you just yeah. can't do that. Um, they, you know, they can't be jumpy and they can't, you know, do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be approachable. Um, one of the things that has been interesting for me on campus um, is, so we have a uh, there, there are signs on all of our entrance doors, working dogs only. So we're not a pet friendly work environment. Yes. Um, because we do have individuals who utilize companion animals, um, working dogs, whether that's, um, uh, a, a dog that supports an individual who is visual impairment or, um, auditory impairment, mm-hmm. or, um, we have had an individual who uses a wheelchair for mobility and has a dog that, fetches things and pulls him along and and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things I was really fascinated by when I started coming with Josie, because she wears a red bandana and, you know, it says (laughs) she's a therapy dog. And so she looks like she's, you know, kind of official. And I wear a red t-shirt that says St. John Ambulance. We have our ID tags on and so on. And people, um, some people were really quite aloof of her Mm -hmm. and, um, or people would like, they would stop and they would look at her and then they would stop and, and I realized that they were not engaging with her because they thought she was a working dog. Ah, good point. Yeah. I yeah. was really, I, I was, frankly, I was impressed yeah. to be honest mm-hmm. with you because I think, you know, in the, the years that I can think, you know, it's probably about eight years ago that we had our first, um, uh, seeing eye dog on campus. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of education that went on mm-hmm. in terms of when he's in harness, you don't engage. For sure. When he's out of harness, fill your boots. But when he's in harness, he is working in his job and he needs to be focused on his job. So now when I see folks walk by and, you know, sort of do the little hesitate (laughs) and I'm like, you can pat her if you want. They're like, is she working? And I'm like, she is, but her job is to give and receive love. Like that's what she's here for is to be padded today. And the shift in people, like they just, they're on their knees, they're (laughs) rubbing their face in her (laughs) neck and they're, you know, if she's laying on the floor like she is right now, they lay on the floor beside her and, um, you know, that, that real change, um, once they recognize that. But I do think that it's, you know, I, I anticipate that it's a challenge in other environments. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know whether, um, I know there are a number of NSCC campuses that do have visiting dogs. Um, I don't know what our policy is um, mm. and how that happens. Um, but, you know, I know they go to schools as well. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, typically I ask people if they want, you know, when I walk by an open office door or whatever, you know, yeah. if you want to visit from the dog. You and, want a little love. Yeah. And 95% of the time people will say, oh yes, bring her in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 5% of the time they're like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, and we just walk on. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, I would be interested to sort of look at a policy analysis because I think it's, you know, I have had the opportunity to be in group care programs that yes. may have animals. And mm-hmm. I think that it is much more benefit than risk. Yeah. Um, I think the risk is to the animal. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, that's, yeah. you know, that's the balance. Um, yeah. It needs so to be lots to of supervision yes. and, and you do have to take into consideration what may occur with that animal because of the trauma yeah. of the youth that you're yeah, being served. One of the things I've done a lot of thinking about, um, in the past little bit, because, you know, I, when I worked in group care, I did on occasion mm-hmm. take my dog in mm-hmm. to hang out. Yep. Seen um, it. Yeah. Seen Yeah. And one of the things... <laughs> Not unusual. No. <laughs> um, one of the things that I've done a lot more thinking about um, as I've sort of, I don't know, grown up a little bit more maybe in my practice is who am I responsible to mm-hmm. when I am there with my dog? Yes. Um, and, you know, so when I think about that now, when I'm on campus and I have Josie, mm-hmm. I am not there as a faculty. My responsibility is not to the students that I support. My responsibility is to my dog. True. Um, yeah. 
So when I was on the floor and had my dog on shift, mm-hmm. how would I have responded? This is a rhetorical question because I don't, I mean, I think we could unpack it for hours. Yeah. Um, how would I have responded if one of those youngsters I was mm-hmm. working with, who I had great affection and caring for, yes. on occasion I would even say I loved them. Yeah. How would I have responded if they had harmed my pet Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. my responsibility, I was being paid to be there in therapeutic relationship with that young person. And now I have an injured family member essentially because Mm -hmm. they are family members for us. And how are you going to react? Mm -hmm. And is it going to be within the threshold of a child and youth care practice? And how does that impact on the relationship that I've developed or am developing with that young person? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's a piece that, I mean, I advocate for animals visiting our group care programs with, with troubling adolescents in this province. I advocate for it. Mm -hmm. I question whether you should be on a paid shift when you have your animal present. Yeah. The policies and procedures of it. We know that there's benefits to it, but how do we protect the animal, mm-hmm. the youth, the staff, the, the staff? Handler. Yeah. So, you know, you do have to take all of those, um, con- everything into consideration. But again, there are benefits. Oh. And I think if we look at making sure that the animals we're using are not pets because they're not meant for this type of work. Mm -hmm. So you need to reach out and find a certified therapy animal and handler. Mm -hmm. And in the province right now, there are two organizations who do certification. As Kelly said, St. John Ambulance Mm -hmm. has a wonderful reputation, their therapy dog program. And as well, Therapeutic Paws of Canada Uh has offices here. I know people who've gone through with that as well. They also have a very good reputation. They are the ones who do pause to read at the Halifax oh, yes. Regional Libraries, yep. which is a wonderful program to help young people uh, to read and to increase their reading skills. That happens at six different branches of the Halifax Public Libraries. But the important thing is to make sure we are choosing animals and handlers that are certified And I think if you look, uh, there's an author named Aubrey Fine, and she actually wrote a handbook on animal-assisted interventions and how we can best put these into place. Mm -hmm. And I think this speaks to what Kelly was saying. The one thing that she really stresses is that you need a person to be there for the therapy dog. That is their job to be there for the therapy animal. Mm -hmm. And then you have another person or people who are there for the therapeutic benefit of the people. Yes. Because those two jobs are very different, and I think it's very difficult to do both of those jobs at the same time, as you were saying. So those are the things. We just need to be very responsible in the way we are we are handling this. Yeah. One of the things you just said, Melissa, that I think is um, interesting and I would like to speak to anecdotally just in my experience with Josie is that someone to be there for the dog. Mm -hmm. And there are days that we're on campus, um, the, we're not there for days, we're there for an hour typically, (laughs) um, that she is legitimately tired Mm -hmm. at the end of that hour. Now, I mean, she's been laying here on the floor for the last <laughs> hour and a half. She is never really rambunctious. Let's be really clear about that. She often looks like she's exhausted, um, and she's not. She's just really laid back. Um, but there are times when she – well, the day that we visited in residence, I, I left there. Um, it was early September. I left there, and I went to a chum's place, and we were hanging out in her backyard because it was a beautiful day, and I opened the door to the car, and Josie didn't even get out of the car, and that's very unusual. Like, Mm -hmm. she would be out, and I mean, she'd just get out of the car and lay on the grass, but she she didn't even get out of the car. Um, So that, you know, sort of that check-in with me, I think, that she does when we're Mm -hmm. visiting on campus Mm -hmm. is that recharge for her, and, you know, when you parallel it, and I don't really want to anthropomorphize necessarily, but I do think that we... Um, I think that we under, uh, I think we overestimate our 
responsibility as human beings um, mm-hmm. and negate animals in the whole mm-hmm. circle of, of things and the hierarchy of the animal kingdom. I'm not sure that we're necessarily the most intelligent, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Don't send phone calls and emails to me. Send them to Kelly. <laughs> so I don't want to anthropomorphize too much. However, we know as helpers that yeah. we have to pay attention to our mental health Absolutely. and that we have to have a support system in order to ensure that we're looking after all of the things, um, you know, that we're taking on, um, when we're supporting individuals who've been impacted by trauma. So it really just stands to reason that so do our companion animals, our therapy animals, that they need to also have, you know, I don't think she's going to go to talk therapy, um, (laughs) but she needs to, you know, she needs to know that her safe adult is there um, so that she can continue to do the work that she does. And, you know, I, like, I, I talked about the the energy, like the dropping Mm. of energy, Mm -hmm. people who are amped up and they just, you know, that you can just experience the change in, in the, the air in the room. Mm -hmm. So where is that energy going? I'm sure I'm taking some of that energy, but she's taking that energy. Yes. Um, and what, what a great way to really talk about self care for our social service communities. You know, uh, I think that's a great way to help people understand that, we do absorb the energy. Mm-hmm. We do need to check in with the people who are there to support us. And we need to take the time for self-care. So way to go, Josie. You're just all over the place here <laughs> helping us. But, you know, again, to separate it from so people can empathize. Like there's so many benefits. And so when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about, you know, what are the benefits and how can we potentially um, increase individuals' awareness and introduce animal therapy into different contexts for the benefit of the people who um, seek out their services? You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm your host, Charlene Pickram, and this is CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm your host, Charlene Pickram, and you're listening to CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. And in our last segment, Kelly, Melissa, myself, and Josie, who is hiding underneath the table here, um, want to just provide you with a little further uh, awareness information. And uh, we're going to let Kelly begin first. And she's going to talk about the visiting program. So the St. John Ambulance Visiting Program, um, I'm actually just frantically looking here for contact information and I can't find it. Um, But you can contact St. John Ambulance here in Halifax. Um, Robert Howlett is the uh, individual who coordinates the program. So if you're interested in having a dog come and visit, there are dogs from all, there are dogs all over the province. Um, and you can connect with him and he'll find a team who has availability to come and spend time. Um, again, depending on whether there are children in the environment or the level of, of, uh, the needs of the individuals that you would like them to visit, uh, would depend on the level of, uh, screening that the dog has had. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, so again, if you're interested in, you know, even just getting some further information, you may feel that your animal has the uh, potential skills um, to become a therapy dog, and uh, you may want to take on that role yourself. So thanks, Kelly. And so, Melissa, one of the things that we, you know, kind of talked about was uh, the elder dog program. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a bit about that? Certainly. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to be involved in this organization for a few years now. It's called Elder Dog Canada. I do believe there are elder dogs elsewhere, but there's one, a chapter in Canada now, and there's uh, pods, we call them P-A-W-D, uh, <laughs> in Halifax and Dartmouth. So, you know, the mandate of the organization is essentially to help seniors keep their companion animals, generally dogs, although we have helped 
you know, people with cats and other things like that as well. Um, so it's to be able to help these seniors keep their pets in their home for as long as they can. So we assist with walking or grooming or helping them take them to the, them to the vets, whatever they need to keep the companion animal in their home because there's so many benefits for the seniors to have mm. these pets with them. Uh, and then, you know, if it gets to a point where they can't keep the animal in the home anymore, we will help to rehome them as well. So it's a really great organization that is also utilizing this human-animal bond for people's uh, mental health, which is really great. So I just wanted to put in a little plug for them because they do some great work. And if anybody's interested in uh, using their services, if you are a senior or know a senior who needs some help or would like to volunteer, I know they're also always looking for volunteers. Yeah. So, you know, one of the big issues, particularly for the elderly, is that when they no longer can live in their home and they have to transition into care. Exactly. Um, I have no knowledge of any um, homes allowing animals as, you know, you've already to have stay. to stay. Yeah, no. Yeah. So you can imagine how for somebody who has such an amazing bond with their animal mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, mm -hmm. they have to, their daily routine with that animal and that connection is just ripped mm -hmm. away from them when they have to go and stay in a care facility. Um, so again, what are the policies and procedures mm -hmm around that in the homes and do they need to take another look at the potential mental health well-being benefits of having animals within that context and environment and I know that you know for Kelly in the in the different programs that you know that is one of the reasons why animals are brought into the facilities because mm -hmm. they have such a positive impact on these individuals um so you know again just to have that awareness of the benefits allows us to have conversations with different agencies mm -hmm. to potentially change the policies and procedures around that or open up doors to have individuals come in with their therapy animals mm -hmm. and so you know we talk about um individuals, whether they're homeless in particular, who want to access services or get into school or get a job or, you know, stay off hard drugs mm -hmm. is what, you know, I particularly read that I thought was amazing in your thesis, Melissa, was that individuals who have animals will stay away from hard drugs because they know, one, that they won't be able to feed them, mm -hmm. but they won't be of the right mind set to actually look after their animals. Um, but they can't go to work, they can't go to school because there's nobody to look after their dog while they're off the mm -hmm. street. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that one of the, the big things that came up from my research was that most of these youth who are transient or homeless uh, sort of adopt this mentality of pet before self, yeah. which can be anything from their dogs are going to eat before they do, you know, to, again, they're going to make pro-social choices so that they can take care of those animals. They're going to do things so that they aren't going to get incarcerated because yes. if they are incarcerated, they can't take care of those dogs. So, and I think that this goes a bit further that people who have animals in their lives will also be doing this. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not as extreme, but Kelly, I'm sure you're like this. You make choices all the time for your dog, right? And people will do that. So I think having these animals in our lives helps us to make the better choices for our own lives. You know, it, mm -hmm. when we're talking about self-care, I really do think that these animals for some reason, bring that self-care into light and we do take care of better care of ourselves so that we can take care of them. Mm. The need, simply the need for structure and consistency Absolutely. in my home because the dogs want to get up at a certain time and uh, you know, they can be lazy, but <laughs> you got to feed them. You got to take them out for a walk. Yeah. So, you know, my partner walks the dogs uh, and anywhere between two and five kilometers a day, and my 14-and-a-half-year-old year Jack Russell still goes. <laughs> um, and so the benefit for my partner in having mm. that 
exercise, fresh air, um, but then also the structure and the routine. And we know that that is oh, important yeah, for our absolutely. wellness. Um, and so, you know, um, when, when you think about the stories that the uh, young people that you spent time with talked about, Melissa, like that structure and routine was part of, part of the benefit of having the pet. They absolutely. knew that they had to do these things. Um, but then there are the significant barriers. And I think that, you know, societally, we really need to look at those barriers. Absolutely. Um, you think, I think about the, um, young man with the, the rat, yes. you know, he, because it was a rat, he <laughs> was able to go lots more places Absolutely. than the folks that had dogs because his rat would just be in his pocket or in his sleeve. Um, and I would guarantee you that there are individuals sitting in our campus that probably have a wee pet in their pocket. Yeah, that's possible. Uh-huh. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I did actually hear a story of someone who brought a dog, a little tiny dog in a duffel bag every day. Yeah. Nobody wow. knew that she had yeah. done that. Well, it's funny because, you know, so many of the youth talk about this emotional support that they mm-hmm. have. And so many of them talked about having social anxiety and real difficulties interacting with people. But when they had that four little legged mm-hmm. friend with them, it was like night and day. They're able to interact. They're able to get around and do the things they need to do. And it really is the difference between being able to do the daily things I need to do or not just to have that animal with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, we kind of talked about if you go to Europe or even if you go to Toronto, Mm -hmm. the mindset around animals on public transportation, in food areas, wherever, is substantially different and and accepted on a level much greater than ours here currently in Nova Scotia. So we potentially have a lot to learn from others, Absolutely. which is usually the way, you know, <laughs> let's look at what are the benefits and how other organizations, communities, uh, countries are utilizing the benefits of animals for social and emotional intelligence development. Um, and, and starting to adopt some of those policies and procedures here mm-hmm. so that we can incorporate all of the benefits of the multiple tools we have at our disposal to help individuals with their mental health well-being. We, we have these tools. Why are we not utilizing them? Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy that you both could take the time to join us here in the studio And do you have any departing words? Anything you'd like to share? If you don't, that's fine. No? I would thank you for the opportunity, Charlene, certainly. Um, I uh, am excited that Melissa got to have the opportunity to also talk about her thesis research because I think it's really important research. And um, I know, as we all do around the table, that oftentimes our master's theses go on shelves and you don't necessarily (laughs) disseminate the information in the way that it should be shared. And um, I think the opportunity to honor the stories of the young people who chose to spend time with you, Melissa, and um, and for you to, to talk about the the research that mm. underlies the benefit of this lovely fur ball that's mm-hmm. under the table. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and as well, I would like to thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great opportunity to talk about my research. And um, thank you, Kelly, also for coming in and introducing me to Josie, because that's been really fun. And uh, I just wanted to say, you know, obviously, it's a great thing to get involved with. So if anybody's interested, please contact St. John Ambulance or Therapeutic Paws of Canada and get involved. Excellent. Well, again, thank you both. I really appreciate it. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it on CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. On behalf of myself and my producer, Jim Francis, be well.